1: Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. My name is Taylor talking to Tim today. And we have I've been really excited about this episode. I've been waiting about all year to do it. We are talking awards, selections, uh, most improved player, six-man, rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, and MVP. Uh, it's been a hot topic of debate, especially MVP. I'm excited to get to that. But, uh, Tim, it's been a little while since we podcast together. I know you're you're I, at this point, I don't know, chess deep in Laker content as they make their playoff run. how you doing?
2: I'm I, I'm yes, that's a good description. Uh, I've just been watching games, doing live streams with our uh, our playback stream, uh, and then after the game's re-watching them and then going through the clips and going through the data, recording podcasts, doing extra streams and video breakdowns, doing spaces. so, it's been a lot, but I'm enjoying it, and things are going well, and it's we'll see how the game goes tonight, but uh, hopefully we'll continue. So I'm, I'm having a good time. It's my favorite time of year, Taylor. I don't know about you, but every night I find myself just watching basketball with one TV, watching playoff hockey on the other TV, <laughs> and then I may have a uh, Mets game up on my laptop as well. So it's it's just a beautiful sports time of year for me.
1: Okay, so I cannot do the multi-screen thing. I've tried this. I have a friend who does every Sunday, he has a like a, a quad TV setup, but it's one of those things where they're all touching each other. So you can either make it be one giant screen or four individual games. I I can't, I don't know. My brain just like doesn't I can't absorb any information from I'm trying to watch all of them at once. I don't know. I, I just can't do it. Hmm
2: you need to uh sports just a little bit better taylor you got to be able to consume more content it's there's nothing (laughs) there's nothing like watching like a a game seven on each screen and just like strategically deciding which tv to listen to the audio for so you know buzzer beater three ten seconds left you know overtime goal and then somebody hits a home run like it's an all immersive experience. It's I love it. It's it's a maybe I need
1: to like maybe I need to dedicate a sense to every TV. Like I'll dedicate my <laughs> vision to one my hearing to one my taste to another.
2: It's smelling uh, like a comeback. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, my my girlfriend actually showed, showed me a TikTok the other day and it was eye drops. So this girl was getting married and she like felt like she had squinty eyes. I have very squinty eyes. Uh, And she found this. It's an FDA approved drug that you it's just an eye drop. You put it in your eye and it doesn't cause your pupils to dilate, but it makes your eye like lid open more. So like your eye just looks more open or doesn't look. It is more open. And I was like, maybe I should just pop a couple of those drops in for the NBA playoffs.
2: That's right. Yeah, you will never miss a moment
1: of action. (laughs) My (laughs) eyes are just scientifically more open. Uh, All right, let's get to the awards. Uh, Like I said, we're going to start with most improved. Then we're going to go to six man rookie of the year, defensive player of the year and MVP. Uh, I will give my pick. Tim will give his pick. And then we will uh, also include LeBron's pick for uh, just the, the metric side of things. So let's start with most improved player. I think this is, this is where I really like to lean on the data because it's it's really difficult to gauge where everybody is on players just in general. And then when you try to measure like who took the biggest jump forward, that also gets really complicated. So uh, Tim, who did you have as your uh, – or what was your, your most improved ballot looking like? So I – this was
2: this was a hard one because as you're saying, it's not just who's the best. It's who's had the largest jump. And some players had large jumps because they had like a down year. So I tried to focus on – guys who are just, in general, on the upswing uh, and and moving up and up and up with their careers. And so that kind of helped me take some guys out. Um, and then from there, I ended up with four players that I considered, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Nicholas Claxton, Lowry Markinon, and Shea Gilders Alexander. I, I took a look at Jalen Brunson, but he just didn't have as much of a jump as some of these other guys. I know he's on a... Bigger stage, more of the number one option, but like he was really, really, really good last year too. And so that to me is part of the thing. It's like it's not just who got more attention this year. It's like who had the biggest jump in performance. So he didn't quite cut it for me, but those are the four that I kind of started with and then tried to order.
1: Yeah, those were the four I was looking at as well. So... Uh, marketing won like the, uh, the official version of the award. So this is actually the award. Normally I am pretty fiery and pretty, uh, uh, how, how would I say this in a way that doesn't make me sound like a, a terrible person, but I am, I am very, uh, I really like to argue awards. It's something I'm very passionate about, something I enjoy. Sometimes I come across a little bit strong, but this award Uh, especially this year, I'm actually pretty okay with picking any of the, the same four players. I was kind of looking at, I think SGA it's kind of the same thing as Brunson. Like he was too good last year, but I think you could also make an argument like, for, for the the higher up the league you get, every, you know, slot you can move up in the top, you know, 30 or whatever is much more difficult from going from a below average player to an above average player. I think that's a that's a fine argument. But this year I thought Halliburton, Claxton and Markden like really, really deserved a lot of credit because I like this award, right? Because you're just shining a light on like guys that have like take these giant leaps. They're playing really well. They're young for the most part. Um, honestly, you could, you can maybe throw Julius Randall in here and he could win it two times in the last three years. <laughs> but, uh, I had, you know, we'll start to get to the picks here. I, I had Claxton as my runner up. I felt like his defensive impact, especially the first half of the year was tremendous. Like defensive player of the year candidate. I thought he was the best switching big this year. The data backs that up. He was first in our perimeter isolation defense among bigs. A huge jump in D. LeBron. He went from 48th among bigs last year to third, and then uh, the rim protection also took a jump. So just across the board. But he's that type of versatile uh, big that could switch. That's you know what you really want for the playoffs. But the regular season impact, like the the Nets were were so good before they traded Durant and Kyrie, and I felt like Claxton was that third block that didn't get as much credit as I thought he should have. So he was actually my runner up. And then after that, I had Halliburton as the winner Halliburton for me he was averaging over 10 assists per 75 possessions which is just crazy high volume his passing efficiency was the best in the league took a just a mammoth leap in that uh, his playmaking talent from last year he was 25th he was good people knew about him right the Kings traded him people were talking about him they were high on him but he went from 25th in playmaking talent to sixth again getting to that, like elite upper echelon super super good and then also a really good three point shooter so I feel like playmaking for me is just about the most valuable thing in the league, especially high-end playmaking, and that he was able to do it on such high volume and with such high efficiency made him the most improved player in the league for me. But uh, how did your ballot end up shaking out?
2: Yeah, so this was challenging. This was a tough one. I ended up with SGA fourth. Uh, and I kind of took him out of the mix because, you know, he's been, like you said, he's been really good. He continues to take on load. The one area that we saw him really jump was his mid-range scoring and abilities there, and that is a legit skill to add that really unlocks a lot for him as a uh, like potential superstar player moving forward. His defense did get better as well, and He was used in a helper role rather than a low activity role. So he was in a role that actually adds value. Um, (laughs) So I was like, all right, you know, that's good. But I'm going to have you fourth. I put Claxton third. You make great points. The one thing that kind of was a tiebreaker for me was that he did have a couple seasons ago a pretty high year. And then last year was more of a down year. And so I didn't see the more straight up trajectory with him. But to your point, he had a fantastic year, really good defensive season. He was an elite defensive player with mobility, had some good rim protection. Like He had the highest LeBron rise and wins above replacement rise of any player. So I get it for him. Didn't see that that upward trajectory. And that is why I put Markkinen ahead of him as my runner-up. The funny thing with Markkinen is that we actually, from an impact jump standpoint, looking at our LeBron metric, we saw a larger jump for him. From two seasons ago, two seasons ago to last year, more than we saw from last year to this year, but adding some context around that, the reason was two years ago he was used as an anchor big, which is a horrendous way to use him. That just uh, it, it's not a good fit for his skill set, and just moving him out of that, but him being around the same caliber of player just jumped up his impact a good bit. Uh, this year, I think his defensive role wasn't as optimized. But it allowed him to focus more on his offense from an energy standpoint. And then on that offensive end, he rose uh, his finishing, you know, getting to the rim, scoring at the rim to elite levels. His mid-range shooting rose to a caliber. Um, his three point shooting just took off. His shot creation is the highest it's been uh, since I think his second season and that season, he just wasn't as good of a player. So he's he's self-creating, and he's doing so on insanely better shot making this year. So he just like flat out, Got better. It wasn't like oh he was just in a bad role. No, he just flat out is hitting his shots so much more now. I think the his defensive role piece kind of muddles the impact data a little bit, but he was still you know a riser and he won the actual award. I'd have him as the runner up for me, and I'm with you. I've got Tyrese Halliburton as my number one guy. He had the highest offensive impact jump from last year to this year. If you get rid of Randall and Dame, two guys who just had down seasons or injured seasons. Um, his overall impact rise was near the top of the league so on a data from a data standpoint, yeah, he's right there in the conversation but he was if you look at individual skills and some metrics, he was towards the top of the leaderboard for all of the NBA in terms of his jump in finishing talent, his jump in playmaking talent and his jump in total offensive load. So more of a straight you know up trajectory for him and he's not just getting better but he's also increasing the scope of his role and that's led to that increased offensive impact and uh yeah he's he's a super fun player i remember you doing a pod i think it was a solo pod talking through him versus i forget the other player but one big point against halliburton was that ability to get to the rim and he's just so dramatically improved his rim shot creation that he's just a different player and that opens up a lot of the playmaking and to your point number one in the league in playmaking efficiency uh or passing efficiency which is looking at you know, what is your actual bad pass turnover rate compared to what we'd expect based on how frequently you're you're creating shots for others, the quality of those shots, the versatility of those shots. So he is threading the needle about as well as you possibly can. And that along with a big jump and being able to get to and finish at the rim. Like those are critical skill sets. And we're seeing him rise and rise. And uh, you know, his team wasn't all that great this year. Same thing with Marketing, same thing with Claxton after the trade, same thing with SGA. But these are some fun rising players that I will definitely have my eye on moving forward.
1: Yeah, Halliburton... It, the the rim shot creation I that was a big concern for me and to see it shoot up the way it did like he was near the top of the league in that improvement where I was like well uh, that was my that was the one thing where I was like I'm not sure now that that that's happened I'm like I guess sky's the limit <laughs> I don't I don't uh, don't really have any qualms anymore with that mm-hmm. uh, marketing I feel like the value also as that stretch four is super valuable I think that's a hard thing to quantify. And I think that's another thing maybe like in his favor that I can, I, it's one of those things. I'm not really upset that the award went to him, but uh, you know, I really liked Halliburton's season, but uh, LeBron's pick just to close it out here was Claxton was that huge jump in defense. Uh, but yeah, you ready to move on to uh six man of the year? Absolutely. All right. So six man of the year, I think the only, uh, the only thing for this is you have to, you have to come off the bench more games than you start, Right. Yeah,
2: that's it. And I saw plenty of other people arguing for this award and saying that like certain guys, you know, they played starter minutes, which is usually what happens, or they started more Oh, that's two wins every year, like, Tim. Like every year these guys do start some games. It's not like you have to play, you know, start 0% of your games or one guy starts more games than the other, it doesn't count. Like it's it's not that only your stats coming off the bench count. It's just that wh- how have you been this year overall? Like We're looking at what who are the best players among the players that have not started for – or they, that have started at like less than 50% of the games they've played in. Like that's it. That's the only criteria. And until that changes, that's the way you should evaluate this. And I think that's something that has kind of morphed for certain people. Uh, and I want to, I guess, just stick, stick to, to what the rules are.
1: Yeah, I uh, I used to get so mad because I'd be like, this guy's playing thirty one minutes a game coming off the bench. No wonder he's going to win the award. He's got like way more points than everybody else, yeah. way more rebounds, way more assists. But it's uh, that's, that's not the time for me to complain about that. That was that was me five years ago. Uh, Brogdon won the award. Um, the 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 award whatever the one that the, the writers vote on or is that that's how it is right writers vote on it uh, you um, know writers
2: Stephen a smith all all of the the big important people <laughs> i think that i think that was a bullshit decision <laughs> he should not have won the award to me
1: No, he just, he plays in Boston. It's like why Marcus Smart won defensive player of the year last year. It was like, uh, does he play in Boston? Does he play with like the biggest like market behind him in terms of like news coverage? Yep. That's why he won. So Brogdon, he, I I looked when I was like, when I was comparing who I was going to pick for this, I was like, (laughs) like a quick, like, Oh no, that's not who I'm going to pick. So my runner up actually was Austin Reeves of the Lakers. I thought Reeves from an efficiency standpoint this year was fantastic so i actually went to the database this is for bench players that have a total offensive load over 25 which really isn't that high it's just like you're someone that that has the ball sometimes uh he was the most efficient scorer from a true shooting standpoint right just free throws twos and threes of the of the last 10 years like just full stop the most efficient scorer Uh, Coming off the bench with a total offensive load over twenty five, like there's a couple bigs, right? They're just getting dunks that that aren't scoring too much. That there's like maybe like seven guys higher than him, but Reeves doing it at the free throw line, the mid range from three, some, uh, just the juice he brings, and I think really driving home his ability to get to the free throw line is something that provides stability to his scoring. He's a good free throw shooter as well, and it just makes the efficiency like get into like bonkers territory. Like his efficiency this year is higher than Steph Curry's for like the average of his career. Obviously Steph's doing on a way higher volume is way crazier, but just like, just, I wanted to kind of get that idea, like above Shaq for his career, above Steph for his career. Like his efficiency is, unbelievably high relative to league average he's also taking much much easier shots than those players like oh absolutely so so
2: that is a factor that must be considered and that's why like i wouldn't have him you know i wouldn't say he's a better scorer or like no no adjusting for that like but even adjusting for his efficiency his overall shot making is fourth among players in the nba this season that have started less than 50 percent of the games
1: Uh, Yeah. So, so obviously he's going to be catching more, you know, catch and shoot type opportunities or attacking closeouts, obviously. But I just kind of want to give people a ballpark of like where that efficiency number was. Because there's like, Mm -hmm. if you're a non big, you're just not in that kind of stratosphere of efficiency. Like I think he was like 18% better than league average or 16% better, like something absurd. Um, also really good defender was really good in our perimeter isolation, uh, defensive metric. The only thing with him is like, he has like almost no defensive playmaking. So that does hurt you a little bit. And then that's going to hurt his overall impact metrics, but just, just staying in front of his man, also chasing, like chasing Bain in the, the playoffs so far this year, I feel like he's done a pretty good job, but his ability to score efficiently, get to the free throw line and be a solid defender, uh, made him my runner up for six man.
2: I like that. Uh, I misspoke. He's fourth in O'LeBron among those uh, qualifying players. He's fifth in shot making. So still, you know, pretty solid. He's underrated from a defensive impact standpoint because of the reasons you provided with the like event creation not being there as much. Um, it does matter, though. It's good to get steals. It's good to get deflections. So it, he'd be better if he got those as well. But <laughs> because he doesn't get those much and he's just staying in front constantly. People aren't noticing how good his defense is, so he's just big picture, among the general population, underrated. Uh, he's got to box out a little bit more. Um, but, you know, <laughs> as the only player on this list that's been on my podcast, I uh, he gets a boost. <laughs> um, so, he was third, you said, or runner-up? He was runner-up for me. Oh, okay. Ooh, interesting. So, I... I have Brogdon as my runner up and Brogdon this season was a better overall shot maker than Austin Reeves. Um, he's got a pretty solid offensive impact. His point production was seventh best points per 75 possessions among qualifying players. He's got some playmaking. Like there are things he does really well. He's a solid contributor off the bench for a very, very, very good team, but he's just not—he's just not as good at those things as Emmanuel quickly is for me. Um, quickly is the number one shot maker among qualifying players. He has by far the highest uh, LeBron value and LeBron Wins Above Replacement value, um, the highest offensive impact value from a defensive impact standpoint. He's he's an interesting player because in the on off data there will be times where players get lucky or unlucky like you know a player when he's on the court the other team just misses their free throws a lot more than they usually do there's an, you know that individual player is not really doing anything to change that there's no voodoo magic but it'll make your on off data look good or maybe worse quickly was the luckiest player in the NBA this season on the defensive end of the court which has dramatically inflated his, and by uh, orders of magnitude more than than just about anybody else, to the point that it's created a. If you just look at like the on and off data, he's overrated. He's an overrated defender. He's still a good defender, but he's an overrated defender. On offense, though, Emmanuel quickly is the least lucky player. He's the most unlucky player in the NBA this season. <laughs> in bananas. I've never seen this before. This does not normally happen. These things don't usually like average out to you know. No luck. Like, most players aren't all that lucky on either end. Some guys, you know, just have years where they're pretty lucky or pretty unlucky. Having a guy be the luckiest on one end and the unluckiest on the other is bananas, and I don't think we'll see it again. Um, But his offense is fantastic. He's really, really good. He's a damn good player on offense. Um, He's right up there when it comes to the offensive load that he carries, the playmaking as Brogdon. But his shot making... And his relative defensive value really sets him apart to me. And that's why I had quickly one, Brogdon two. Uh, I want to shout out Bobby Portis, who I didn't, I was just kind of between these two guys. So I didn't give third place all that much thought, but I like Reeves as a shout out as well. But I'd have quickly one and Brogdon two
1: so yeah quickly i i was i was playing a little coy there like he it's not even close in our metrics with him and everybody else like it there's not really an argument to be had for him to not win the award but i, I interesting like we've been pretty high on quickly throughout his career we had him as our rookie of the year mm-hmm. uh now we have him as our sixth man we're trying to send a lot of hardware his way um but again if that that's I didn't know about the the lucky and the unluckiest. That's very interesting. But he's a legit two way player. Like he's been really good in the mid range. Solid three point shooter. Uh, the playmaking sometimes can be like really really nice. Like it's pretty flashy. Where I, I don't know how to. I mean, I guess we have. Sometimes I forget like my brain and like all the data we have because we have passing creation quality, which is basically like how how good the look is that you uh generally overall for the season how how good the quality of looks you create is but there are just individual plays he makes it's almost like in baseball there's no doubter home runs right like right off the bat you're like well that's going about 60 rows deep like the outfielder doesn't even move type thing like there's been assists that he'll throw because he's a pretty tricky and creative passer Mm -hmm. where like the the big is so far out of position when he dumps it off to to his big that it's like oh that's just like a no doubt or two points like the uh i don't know what the what, what would you call it the the ex, you know there's like expected points on a play it's like in my brain as soon as the big catches it, it like it's going to go up for a dunk i'm like oh the expected points here is like two <laughs> there's yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that this ball is going in so mm-hmm. uh yeah he's just a really a really interesting player because like you can find six men that can score like that's not that hard those guys exist in the league but six men that can score that can also give you like good playmaking that's really hard to find so I think quickly's value you're seeing it like the Knicks have a lot of good players but quickly is uh, kind of a linchpin for them that additional playmaking uh, to pair with Brunson has been super valuable this year so uh, my pick your pick and LeBron's pick for quickly I think this is probably this was the easiest decision of all the awards for me
2: yeah he was yeah, he in the data at least, he's well ahead. I think he's comparable to Brogdon in a lot of ways and just the fact that Brogdon's team has been better on this season, pushed people more towards Brogdon. But, and I think you can also, if you were trying to play the game where you said, oh, well, quickly started too much or some of his good games came where he started, like that stuff shouldn't matter. Um, another element of this too is the fact that he played a lot more minutes than Brogdon. And part of that might be because he started some games more, but like the aggregate impact he was able to create was much higher because he played substantially more time. So that's something that factors into like our war metric that due to the nature of the award, it's a bit trickier. So for this is, this is one where I try to stick more to the per hundred possession stuff. And even in that he is well ahead. So yeah, I'm with you. I think because, because most improved is like, that was tricky. Rookie of the year is tricky. Defensive player. of The year is very tricky. MVP is close. Um, well, MVP is not super close, but yeah, this was this was the probably the the easiest one for me.
1: Yeah, biggest blowout uh, in my opinion. So, and then just recapping, like I'm pretty sure I said, it, LeBron's pick was also quickly. Uh, let's move on to Rookie of the Year. This is the one I've been the most fired up about. I've been on Twitter tweeting about it <laughs> on the Basketball Index account as well as my account and Walker Kessler. So, Walker Kessler was traded in the offseason season. Uh, in the Rudy Gobert trade, he is also a very large center. Um, so I had Palo as number two for me just because I, you do have to give credit for like you are the first overall pick. There's a lot of expectations on your shoulders. You got to go to a team that's not very good. You got to put up 20 points a game. But in my mind, this Walker Kessler's defensive season, he is the best rim protector as a rookie by a country mile in the tenure database we have. It's not even close. Like, his defensive impact was really game-changing. He started out the season slow, didn't get a ton of minutes, but the second half of the season, he was a defensive monster. Uh, I did something on the Twitter where there was a day where I tweeted out basically, like, every player's kind of case for rookie of the year. And with Walker Kessler, it's just – I don't I, – I, it, it's just so easy in my mind if you just look at the data for like you know 10 minutes you're like oh this race really is not close because the impact he's bringing where it's like if you were to plug Kessler onto a playoff team or Palo onto a playoff team in my mind Kessler will give you infinitely more value because Palo will like sure like he got to the free throw line pretty well for a rookie and that's about it like defensively it was a little disappointing. The defensive playmaking like, really wasn't there at all. Offensively, again, there was volume, but like, if you have a bad team, like, somebody's going to score 20 points a game. In his case, he's obviously the first option. It's going to be him. But Kessler's defense has been like, I'm really excited for his career. I'm interested to see where that goes. And then on offense, he's not much of a scorer right now, but he's a really efficient play finisher. So again, that plugs into, you can put him on the, the 10th best team, the the fifth best team, the first best team, like that high-end play finishing is going to be helpful on offense. And then his rim protection is like, I look into be generational from year one. So I am extremely high on Walker Kessler and I have missed my rookie of the year.
2: I... I think a lot of people are very, very upset with what they just heard from you. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not even close. Like it's not what conf, conf, confidence interval ninety nine. Wow, how I can it – can I say a hundred? So that work?
2: here, so here's I guess the here's what makes this tricky. Kessler's job on offense is not big. He is a put the ball in the hoop. cut big. Like, he yeah, is yeah. asked to rebound and finish easy shots. And he gets pretty easy shots, whereas Paolo's offensive load is substantially higher. His degree of difficulty on his shots is substantially higher. And in a world where we're not able to actually quantify, you know, how hard are the shots that they're taking, you can kind of use those as excuses and just say, well, you know, his shots were harder. Therefore, it's okay that his efficiency was bad. He looks he's going to be a future superstar. He was the top pick. Like I get that. But we can look at these things. We can see. <laughs> Halibank Caro among all rookies this year, his overall shot making, so his difficulty adjusted shooting, third worst of all rookies. He was in over his head. He had volume, but he's in over his head. Um, but his role was huge. His job was hard. And with him, it's really about what, it's not what did he do or what was he asked to do? It's what did he do well? Because offensively, he had a huge offensive load. It wasn't the highest, but it was quite high. Jaden Ivey's offensive load was higher. His playmaking was comparable. And his shot making was comparable. But he's not talked about at all. Paolo Bancaro is talked about, though, as, as you know, he was the one guy that carried the team. It, well, the team was bad, and his shooting was poor. It wasn't just that he was taking hard shots. His shooting legitimately was very poor. And even adjusting for that difficulty. But his role was huge. Among the 18 rookies this season that had 1,000 or more minutes played, his offensive involvement rate, second highest, and Kessler's was lowest. But on defense, and this is where I think people miss out, on defense, Bancaro's defensive involvement rate, his primary defender uh, involvement rate, was fourth lowest, and Kessler's was first. So one of these guys is carrying a heavy, heavy load on offense and doing nothing on defense. By the way, his uh Paolo's defensive impact, among other mobile bigs, was fourth percentile this season. Um Ooh. his role itself, you know, has some value because he's a big man, defends the rim a bit more. But among his peers, among the people doing his job, he was one of the worst. Kessler was in like a fringe defensive player of the year guy as a rookie. And yes, his role offensively was very low, but defensively, He carried the biggest load of any of these rookies. And that's something that isn't getting any attention. He was really strong as a rebounder. His shot making was very strong. If you look at the the top five rookie shot makers this year, Jalen Williams, number one. We're going to talk about him in a second. Then AJ Griffin, number two. Keegan Murray, number three. Shaden Sharp, number four. Walker Kessler, number five. Kessler was getting easy shots, but then overperforming on them quite a bit. And that is something that, You could just point and say, ah, well, he had an easy job. No, like even with the easy job, he did a really good job. Um, If you look at Piers in that rolling cut big offensive role, he ranked seventh in offensive impact. And that is impressive. If you look among all players this season in defensive impact, all players, he had the sixth best rating. 6th most defensive points saved if you, if you look at the aggregate defensive impact. First in rim point saved for 75 possessions. Like he wasn't just like good for a rookie, he was like legitimately insanely good this year on defense and on offense for his job was really good. Paolo for his job on defense was horrific and on offense was fueled by volume but was underperforming that volume. Yeah, he gets to the free throw line really well. His playmaking shows you know, he's got some of those seeds that can grow and develop into elite playmaking. It's good right now. It's not great. But if you're looking at who played better this year, I I can't go Paolo, man. Like, he had such a hard job, but we don't just hand out defensive player of the year to whoever had the highest matchup difficulty. We don't hand out, like, the, the best offensive player isn't always the guy with the most offensive load. And by the way, again, Paolo didn't have the highest offensive load. Give it to Jaden Ivey if that's your the, the crux of your reasoning. Um, so that to me is a, an element of this, just defense versus offense. You've got one really good defensive player, one really good offensive player, and the public just really skews toward offense. I understand why, but this year with what they were right now, and you put it a great way, if you were to put these guys on playoff teams, one of these guys is going to be able to be a defensive anchor and play really well. And the other guy, you know, you worry about on both ends of the court. The third player here that we haven't really talked about is Jalen Williams, and he's someone that was lower on my list earlier in the year, but he worked his way into a larger offensive role. He led all rookies in shot making. He was in a slasher role, more of an on-ball, to the rim kind of guy. He was just about tied with Paolo in playmaking talent, and he was 80th percentile in defensive impact among rotation chasers, so guys in his role. So he was in a tough role. He was just as good of a playmaker as Paolo. He led rookies in shot making and he was a really, really good defensive player for his job. And that's why, because he has that two way impact and had a hard job. I'm going to go him first. Then I have Kessler second, then Palo Bancaro third. I know this is going to get probably decimated by people and just say, ah, look at the job, but you got to look at how they performed within the job. You can go give, you can go give, you know, somebody a CEO job and say, it's really hard, but if they stink at it, they stink at it. Um, like, <laughs> What do they actually give you for the Now, if you're just trying to project who's gonna be who has the best chance to be an offensive superstar, yeah, I think Palo. But what they did this year, it's just it just wasn't there. So I think there are elements of this that again, just kind of like with rookie uh, with uh sixth man, you can try to morph it into something it's not really supposed to be. But if we kind of stick to what it's supposed to be and 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 acknowledge what defense is and and understand some guys are really good, some guys are not good at all on that end. I think that makes the, the picture a little bit more clear.
1: Yeah, I saw some arguments on Twitter that were like, oh, but Paolo has more upside than Kessler. And I'm like, oh, sure. But like the award <laughs> yeah, is yes. who had the best rookie season where it's like, right. sure, like does one of these guys have a chance to be an all-star? Oh, I mean, they both do. But like, does Paolo have a chance to be an all-NBA player? It's like, yeah, like the free throw rate is absurd for a rookie. But like, that's not what we're measuring here. <laughs> we're talking about who had the best rookie season. Yep uh one so just really wanted to point out the like the efficiency from palo again probably will probably be a good player because the free throw rate is 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 like already at like a very high level but he was shooting under 30 percent on threes at four a game which like again you know you talked about it very hard job in the shot creator role like that's tough but like you're under 30 percent, and like the it's pretty rough mm-hmm. uh for true shooting plus he was nine percent below league average like that's starting to get to the level of like When you call the timeout, the coach is like, so you got to find a different way to impact the game. (laughs) Like, you got to impact the game, but maybe it's not putting the ball up as much as you're putting it up. Uh, But yeah, for me, it's just Kessler. I'm willing to, like, stake my my career on Kessler I that's how much I believe in his rookie year I think he is going to be a building block for the jazz I think like him and marketing you are really excited about the future like that four or five combination will be really interesting for the next decade yeah. Uh, LeBron's pick was Kessler. Uh, you ready to move on to defense player of the year?
2: I guess just one, my last note is, if you're looking at how hard the job was and what kind of load they carried, Ivy carried more of a load than Palo. He was a comparable shot maker and he was a substantially better playmaker. First in offensive load among rookies, first in playmaking talent among rookies. They were both poor on defense. So like, if you're only looking at how hard the job was, I don't even know that Palo like leads in by, you know, from that perspective.
1: Yeah. Ivy's playmaking was fantastic this year. And then uh, Jalen Williams also really, really great rookie year had, I mean, was a huge part of that thunder team kind of making a run into the playing game. Like he was playing at a high level. Like you said, two way players. We really like two way players here at basketball index. <laughs> um Moving on to defense player of the year. This is where things get start to get really hotly contested. So, uh, we've covered most improved player, six man, and rookie of the year. And I feel like those awards are a little more on the fun side. I feel like defensive player of the year and MVP, like those are serious. This is where, like, serious, this is where the knives come out, right? Like, this is no longer talking. People are looking to do some damage with these awards. Um, defensive player of the year was really tough for me I actually I I'm not a fence sitter by nature but you know where I am right now Tim I'm right on top of that fence I'm hoping that you can help sway me to kind of cast my vote uh right off the bat just LeBron LeBron's pick is Jaron Jackson Jr. he was the winner of the award uh, via the sports writers but uh, I was also looking at Brooke Lopez thought he also had a fantastic year help me out here. Uh, which kind of which way were you looking on your ballot and who did you have at the top?
2: Yeah, so also worth noting. So uh, LeBron, defensive LeBron had Jaron Jackson Jr. If we go by our aggregate defensive impact metric, which is defensive points saved, Jackson drops to fifth. And that is he missed
1: the beginning of the year.
2: Yeah, he, he just played so many fewer minutes than a lot of these other guys. So that is that is right there kind of. Is the biggest factor, I think, that like if minutes matter, then that's you know the biggest point against him. Um, the top defensive LeBron guys were Jackson, Lopez, Claxton, Mobley, and Draymond Green. The top defensive point save guys were Mobley, Lopez, Draymond, Claxton, Jackson, and so Jackson. Per 100 possessions, like when he was on the court, he was the best defensive player. He was the most impactful defensive player. He fouled a lot. Um, But when we look, something I was interested in taking a look at is like in in theory, I was thinking in my head, like, is there info that would tell me like, you know, Jackson's playing great when he's on the court, but part of why his impact is so high is when he does come off the court, he's fouled so much that just the other team's in the bonus a lot more often and (laughs) that tanks the team's defense and that props him up. I looked at that info for him, for Mobley, and for Lopez. And the numbers between being in the bonus when on versus off court was about the same. The exact numbers are a little bit different, but the differential is about the same. So if that is something you're concerned about, I would say don't be concerned about it. Jackson, elite, elite secondary rim protector. Not as good as a post defender, not as good as a perimeter isolation defender. He's someone that I've seen quite a bit in this Lakers Grizzly series and is someone that if the Lakers are going at him or into him or through him, I'm not worried as much. If he is lingering around the rim waiting to help on a drive, I am very worried. And uh, <laughs> so that's that's a factor with him. He doesn't rotate the most actively. Um And his rebounding is not very good for for his role. And interestingly, between Mobley, Lopez, and Jackson, the three finalists for this award, all three of them played the anchor big defensive role, which is interesting because in previous seasons, like last season, for example, we had players in different roles. And you could say, all right, well, this guy was a really good anchor big. This guy was a really good wing stopper or point of attack defender. And then you're trying to look at like, how do those positions kind of... What does their value look like compared to each other? But this year, we've got three guys playing the same job. And so it's just flat out, who's better at the job? Um, it's not which job is more important. And I think that that provides some clarity. And I want to try to sway you towards Brooke Lopez, Taylor. Brooke Lopez, he was a better rim protector. He was more disruptive when he was challenged. And he uh, was better when it came to deterring shots at the rim. So... In terms of keeping you away from the rim, challenging shots when you were at the rim, and disrupting those shots, he checks all three of those boxes. He, interestingly, is a pretty good team rebounding guy in that he boxes out really well and very actively. But individually, he is not grabbing rebounds from a volume standpoint, nor is he winning at a high rate when he is trying to grab rebounds. So that is something that it you know. It, Can be bad, but based on how often he he boxes out, we can look at, like, what does his team's defensive rebounding performance look like when he's on-court versus off-court? And he actually has a pretty positive impact on the team's rebounding, and he has for a a number of years. So something that I think the additional data provides more clarity and allows us to understand that, yeah, he has more value than we might otherwise think because he's just going about it in an unconventional way. Interestingly, he had comparable perimeter isolation defensive numbers as Jackson— Uh, He has insanely higher matchup difficulty than both Jackson and Mobley. Jackson, F matchup difficulty among anchor bigs, rotation anchor bigs. Mobley was more average. Uh, Brook Lopez has taken on those tough matchups. Um, His steal and deflection rates are fairly low. Those are two areas where Jackson's quite good. Um, But if he's able to be somewhat comparable as a perimeter defender, even though he doesn't really switch as much, but he's just the best rim protector. And his team rebounding is good enough that the individual rebounding isn't as much of a factor. And compared to Jackson, Jackson's individuals are not a very good rebounder as well, nor is boxing out a whole lot. I would lean more towards Lopez. He's he's also the best drop coverage big among anchor bigs. Um, Jackson is not good at that. He's a pretty good mobile coverage big. And then Mobley has been below average in each. Um, So I, I don't know. The rim protection points, Lopez. The job is a job where you need to be able to defend the rim. He's a pretty solid post defender. His team rebounding is strong. And I think he's underrated a bit in some of these metrics that use box score components like LeBron because he's not grabbing boards for himself, even though the team's doing well. He's not getting deflections or steals all that much. But when he's on the court, the team's defense is just insanely better. And... He's played the minutes, too, on top of all of this, that with with the minutes differential between him and Jackson, I would lean more his way. I think if Mobley's argument is he's been good in all of these areas, he's not better, he's not the best in any of these areas compared to, to the other two, but he just played a bunch of minutes. But I would lean more towards Lopez as my top guy, then Jackson, then Mobley, if I were to rank the three.
1: Yeah, so with Mobley, uh, I really like him on the perimeter. I think he's really great there. But it is one of those things where, like, the Cavs, they just play their starters a ton, and that's going to help you in, like, the LeBron war. Uh, Jaron, the one thing that, like, I just can't get out of my head is when he is roaming defensively so like catch radius is something in football right where it's like if you were to stand still and you can you can get like a a broader radius of catch I think they had like Chad Johnson one time on sports science and his catch radius was like an elephant or whatever Um, (laughs) I feel like uh, Jaron more than other guys is really good with his block radius in terms of like you know like we've seen Shaq get his entire hand on the ball and send it 20 rows up. And he's trying to send a message yada, yada, yada. I feel like Jaron is able to almost extend his range a half foot either way, which again, if you're looking at the entire key a half foot, either way it becomes really valuable and he's able to just get like two or three fingers or like a fingernail on a ball. And it's one of those things, as long as you reroute the ball, it's not going to go in. So his, ability to defend a larger radius as a roamer is something to me I haven't seen in a while at that level where it just it almost feels like it's it's the entire like like bottom half of the key is his radius no matter where he's standing in it which gets me really excited as a as a shot blocker but then I do like Brooke I think the minutes were getting to a point where it was like like you know if someone played if it's like 200 minutes or whatever or 150 minutes like that difference doesn't really matter to me personally but brooke played all year i th- you know they love talking about it on uh, like his rim contest per 75 weren't really that different from other players but his just like total shots contested every i feel like every bucks game i've watched they, they brought that up a few times and there is something to be said especially in the regular seasons almost like a an innings eater fifth starter type thing where it's like if you can get 200 plus in out of your fifth starter. It, it it just does have value inherently in the regular season. And I think Brooke's ability to just play all year to be and it it's not like you know uh it, you know he played a ton and the impact was like it was good. It's like, no, no, he played a ton and the impact was great. So I was sort of leaning Brooke before you made your case, but there's just things Jaren can do from almost like a uh like a flash component of like like a wow take your breath away that is just really exciting mm-hmm. so i think i'm gonna lean brook just because you know you added some things where it's like really good team matter. and hey you, you got to understand you know when your star player is your four and Giannis. You got to understand, you got to feed your star, you know? It's like you got to box your guys out so your star can get those rebounds, get those big double-double numbers, sometimes triple-double. It's like what did – I said something to you in the Slack the other day where, oh, I was talking about LeBron's defense in the playoffs this year. And I was like, it seems like the help, you know, rim defense has been like really like he's turned it up like a year or two. And you were like, yeah, no, that's been good. But, you know, there's this and this and, you know, the box out could be higher. And I'm like, max players are not paid to box out. (laughs) That is Um, not in their mind what they're they're to do. And you know, Brooke knows his role. Like knowing your role, I think is an extremely valuable thing. So I think I'm gonna go Brooke here. I think you've convinced me. Uh you know, obviously great defender, great anchor big, um, easy to build your defense around a player like that. Uh so yeah, I'm gonna go Brooke Lopez. You've convinced me. And uh, I had so that I'll have Brooke one and I'll have Jaron two. But uh you know again just wanted to talk about a guy like Claxton had a really great year at guy like Mobley and they are a little bit more maybe towards, uh, playing different types of teams their mobility on the perimeter is something to be really excited about I mm-hmm. think you know I, Mobley last year was so good for us as a rookie in LeBron where it was like oh this guy's gonna be making all defensive teams for the next decade and I continue to believe that this year he's only gotten better uh but yeah I wanted to shout out those two guys that have a little lower on the ballot but yeah I'm pretty comfortable with uh with Brooke Lopez as the uh defense player of the year with my vote
2: can I call I, I want to uh I want to call out one more thing. So with Jackson's block rate, something I did notice on film because I'm scouting this series from a a Laker perspective, you know, I noticed the block rate and it's so insanely high and part of why it's so insanely high is because he just jumps on everything. Like he's someone you can put in the popcorn (laughs) machine. You put a pump fake, he's jumping and you can draw fouls on him. And that's part of why he commits as many fouls as he does. So it's good, but he goes about it in a way that makes him vulnerable and kind of leads into the fouls, which leads into the minute challenge with him. Um he's like if you look at his minutes per game, it's like not all that high. So that's something to keep in mind with for him. And then with Mobley, I think I I undersold him a bit. He's the best isolation perimeter defender of any anchor big. He is among the highest when it comes to defensive versatility. He's the best rebounder of these three from an individual rebounding standpoint. And he's the best post defender of these three. So he's good at stuff. He's really good at stuff. And he played a bunch of minutes. Um, the job good as an anchor big, though, is, yeah, no, I don't want Cavs fans to be mad at me. Because, no, he's he legitimately is really good at the stuff. There's a reason. You know, it's not like he just played a bunch of minutes and that's the reason he's high for defensive points. It's like, No, he was also really, really good. Um, The job, though, as an acre big, is more about rim protection. And that's why the impact of a Brook Lopez ends up being higher. Part of Mobley's problem is I think he's more talented than his impact shows. We know he's super great defending the perimeter. He can be switchable. The Cavs at a team level switched the fifth least of any team in the NBA this season. And that is holding down the potential impact of a Mobley. So put him in an environment where he's able to lean more into that. And at a team level, you've got, you know, if he were on like Boston, perhaps, like being more of a fit in there, then it's like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, he unlocks a lot and he's really, really good at this. So like he's an incredibly good defender with the minutes. You know, you can make an argument that from a playoff defensive standpoint, he gives you more versatility in a lot of both from a coverage standpoint and from a positional defense standpoint than a Lopez who is just only drop coverage. That's, that's his problem. This is a regular season award, not a playoff award. Um, And that's just, I guess, a taste of when things do become a playoff when it gets to the playoffs, different things matter more. And the ability to have, you know, you can be just have a, you know, I throw 106 on my fastball. That's insane. But if you don't have any secondary pitches, you're not going to be able to be as good in the playoffs. Um, and so that's something we see play out. But again, for this award, shouldn't matter. I'm now kind of rethinking Jackson versus Mobley at second and third. But I, I would stick with with Lopez as the top
1: guy. All right. Uh, let's move on to MVP. Uh, I think we could – I have not seen Tim's ballot, but this is a two-horse race, correct? Uh, I mean Giannis is in it.
2: I I I looked at three, but I ended up... Oh, your tone I is know. so convincing. I
1: have,
2: I have one guy that I have above the other two, and then I think the real argument is over who, who is second
1: place. Right, I'll let you go first here.
2: Okay, so I have Nikola Jokic as my, my guy. And here's the thing with Jok- the way Jokic went about his season is he had a huge gap on the competition for much of the year, most of the year. And then post all-star break, which is like what, like 80% into the season, he from there moving forward was absolutely not as good on defense, was actively like pretty bad on defense and his offense, you know, like there were Denver was more in a coasting mode. They had the one seat. They were kind of coasting and he like went out and said like, ah, I don't care about the MVP. Like I want to like, I understand MP played better than him over that portion of the season and surged. But if this is a regular season award, it's a regular season award. It's not a post-All-Star break award. And the gap that he had on Embiid was big enough that Embiid wasn't able to overcome that with the late season surge. When it becomes a every single day we talk about this and it's a horse race thing and every day that you're talking about it or most days that you're talking about Embiid played better, I get why Embiid is getting more of the attention during the portion of the year where Jokic was substantially better, it wasn't a daily topic. It was not something people were caring about, talking about. It wasn't, uh, you know, being a discussion every 30 minutes on ESPN. That, I think, has led to more you know, Embiid love and the fact that he just hasn't won yet but has been really good the past couple of years leans people his way. And that's that's a stupid reason to give someone the award, like pick the best player if the guy ends up second place for three years or something or second and third and second or whatever it happened to be like, you know, that's good too, but it's not a participation trophy. And Nikola Jokic was really darn good this year. Second in our playmaking talent metric. There's no for a big qualifier here. No, he was second of, of among everybody. Trey Young was better than Nikola Jokic. There's no bonus points for being a big man and being a playmaker. Like there's no funky business going on with the math. He was second best 18th best finishing talent third best mid-range talent behind only DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Durant. I don't think people realize that. Jokic was a killer from, from that second level, that superstar level, the, oh, the Kawhis and the Kobes. Jokic! is Jokic right <laughs> up there with KD and DeMar DeRozan. Um, that's what people love, but I don't see anybody talking about it with him. Uh, his offensive rebounding, 21st, near top, top 20, three-point shooting was okay. His... Post up effectiveness was higher than Embiid's as a scorer and as a passer. He was the most impactful post scorer in the NBA this year. He was an elite defensive rebounder, second best in our defensive rebounding talent metric behind uh, I forget who was in front of him. he was, was Tari Eason. Maybe? No, no, no. Uh, I think. Uh, Andre- oh, that might have been offense. That was I think it was offense. Um, I, I forget who it was, but his defensive rebounding. There is a huge gap between him and Embiid in terms of of being good at that. Uh, But the rim protection, really bad. F in terms of his rim point saved rate, truly among the worst. His deterrence was mediocre. His uh, perimeter isolation defense was below below average among guys in his role. His post defense was not very good. Um, His pickpocket ratings high. His passing lay defense was the best among his peers. He was a mediocre help defender. And so we end up seeing him with this 52nd percentile D. LeBron among starting anchor bigs. There's stuff he's really good at, the rebounding, some of the mobility stuff he's good in coverage as a mobile defender, not good in drop. But he's really, really, really bad at the rim protection, and that results in him overall being average as a defensive impact guy in that role, in that job, where rim protection is key. Offensively, though, team on his shoulders was doing fantastic stuff as a scorer, at the first level, the second level, OK at the third level, was an incredible passer, an incredible post-scorer. The fact that Embiid's big thing is the post-scoring, like, that leans Jokic's way. But I have Embiid second because he was right up there. with. Like, when you incorporate perimeter isolations along with the post-ops and look at just the total ISO impact, he was better than Jokic. And behind only Luka Doncic, Jokic ended up being fifth in that. Um, his post-effectiveness was right there behind Jokic. He did surge late season, just been not quite close the gap. His finishing talent was 33rd, just a little bit lower than Jokic. Mid-range talent, 7th, just a little lower than Jokic. Um, his offensive rebounding, 183rd, much lower. He just was not as active, was not as successful there. His three-point shooting was in the same ballpark. Um, his defensive rebounding, though, pretty mediocre for an anchor big. His rim point saved, also not good. F, F grade. Not quite to Jokic levels, but it's still at bottom 20%. That's an F grade. He was a super active help defender and his rim deterrence was quite good though. And he was an elite pickpocket guy. So turnover generation deterring shots from the rim, even when players shot fairly well against him at the rim and was better in drop. Um, That resulted in him being above average 71st percentile D LeBron amongst starting anchor big. So offensively incredible player. You can say he's a better one-on-one player than Jokic. Just the passing isn't at that same level. Um, defensively, he was a better player. Jokic just ends up being a a tad better, but Embiid was really, really, really good. Fantastic season. Insane that he put up the points per game that he did. And then one note with Giannis, he actually had a higher offensive load than either of the two players I just talked about, which is bananas to me. He was behind only John Morant and Trey Young in total offensive load. Um, He was second in rim shot creation, third in rim shot making, behind only Zion in finishing talent. And was in the forties for offensive rebounding talent in the sixties for mid range talent, not good as a three point shooter, 21st playmaking talent right between Darren Fox and Fred Van Vliet. He's just a relentless force at the rim, a strong help and does a good job facilitating after drawing that help defense. And I think if you were in a better offensive system schematically, I think he'd, he'd succeed even more Um, defensively. He was good, but he moved to an anchor big role this year, which was not a good move for his skills. Um, the lowest matchup difficulty of his career, the lowest defensive rebound talent of the past six seasons. This was a, just from a defensive impact standpoint, a very down year for him, the lowest since 2015, 2016. And what Giannis has been and can be as a defensive impact guy was not what he was in the regular season. And that's something that I think we have to evaluate and have, we have to take into consideration. And that if his defensive impact was on par with his best seasons where he was optimized a bit better and at his peak form, along with what he did on offense, he would be in that conversation. But because the defense dropped off, that pulls him down a bit. And, and that's why I, him and Embiid are kind of in that second tier for me. I think I'll lean Embiid, but Jokic is my top guy.
1: Yeah. So Giannis, just real quick, because Chris Middleton missed so much of the year, him and Drew Holiday had to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of creation, just the way the roster's constructed. Basically, like, you know, obviously those are the three building blocks. And then they tried to surround them with defenders and some shooting because, you know, that's how you build teams in the modern NBA. And when Middleton misses that much time. Uh, Giannis, like you said, that total offensive load was like for a big man for it to be that high is pretty absurd. So I think you you know made a good point to give him credit there. Uh, I want to talk about the defense because I feel like Embiid gets like, you know, we've talked about this. Jokic isn't the he's you know he's a a decent to decent plus defender i'd say the last couple of years uh it faded this year down the stretch kind of when they were in cruise control slash he just didn't play as well down the stretch but like you said they had the one seed locked up um and bead has a reputation as a monster defender right because like you see some of his defensive highlights and they they are their wow defensive highlights right but since 20, like 2019 is the last year he really had an impressive deal, LeBron, like early in his career, two of the three seasons were really good. And then he had a really impl- uh, impressive run in 2019 in the playoffs as well, defensively. But since then, it's been four years and his defense has been good. Right. Don't get me wrong. It's 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 definitely it's a clear plus, but I think he is a high variance player and some people on defense some people contribute that to effort maybe it's you know the large offensive load that he does carry on offense you know averaging so many points this game earth this year but i do think that he gets too much credit defensively for what he just does because like people are like oh well yeah he can turn it up and in any given game he can dominate and it's like sure that's great but if you're not doing it on a nightly basis i just simply can't give you credit for that like it kind of makes me think of like russell westbrook this year in the playoffs he played really well and he had some crazy defensive games and like there are things that just throughout his career especially in his younger years where he would just have these games where it just felt like he was out of exploding out of a cannon he was everywhere blocking shots getting steals you know starting things in transition yada 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 but it's like okay well I, I needed every game, <laughs> you know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't have it in, you know, 65% of the games. And I think Embiid, because he has such dominant games really on both sides of the court. Um, but there are specifically here, we're talking about defense. There are games where you, you make excuses for him because you're like, well, in my head, the defender he is, is better than this. And it's like, okay, but we're looking at like four straight years of a non-elite deal, Bron, where it's like, okay, at a certain point, like, sure, down year, like Giannis gets a pass this year, right? Playing in a different defensive role, the team had some injuries, it, you know, it wasn't terrible or anything, but it's not where it normally is for him. You know, we, you talked about the the, the more offensive load, all that stuff. But if there's two more years of his defensive impact being at the level it is this year, then you have to start changing how you think about him in your head. And I think we're looking at Joel Embiid in our head, the 2019 version, the younger 25 year old, probably a little bit more mobile, probably a little lighter defensive monster anchor big. And he just, again, good defender, but you just cannot place him among those, you know, top five defensive player of the year bigs because over the last four years, he just has not been there. And I don't know how else to say it. It just feels unfair the defensive credit he gets.
2: Yeah, you shouldn't get credit for things you did a couple of years ago. Like, if we look at MB from a like, what is he on defense? He has been in previous seasons a good rim protector. This this year he was an F in rim point saved rate. Uh, if we look at the seven seven years he's played in his career, it's almost a like a very linear movement down and down and down and down and down over time. He started off being one of the NBA's absolute best rim protectors in 2016, 2017, absolutely elite. And then moved down. It was at about the same level for two years and then had a a down year. I think he might've been injured a bit that year. And then the past three seasons has just moved down and down and down. He's at a career low level. And if you don't pay attention to that and you excuse that, yeah, he's going to end up being higher, but you have to evaluate these guys for what they're doing. And each of them are carrying a really heavy offensive load. And we've seen Giannis with his defense. Like it's it's the same thing as with Jokic, where it's like what he actually did this year is not what he's done in the past. He's been better in the past, but this is a this year award. Uh, and so that's, that's the challenging thing with it. And when we look at Embiid's load, Actually, hasn't really it actually went a little bit down this year. It's been pretty similar season to season, pretty much his entire career. So, it's not like his defensive performance has declined as the offensive load has increased. The defensive performance has just gone down, and he's in that uh Lopez like mold where he's better as a drop guy and a rim protector. But he's not and, – and, and he just – he doesn't have the mobility as much and he's not a very really good – he's not a good rim protector right now. He hasn't been among his peers. Among all players, yeah, he's good. But if you could just say, well, he can turn it up sometimes. Like we have to evaluate what they're actually doing. Yeah, Jokic can turn it up as well. If you look at Jokic's uh, defensive field goal percentage at the rim versus expectations quarter by quarter, it gets better from the first quarter to the second quarter to the third quarter to the fourth quarter as he realizes – I can try harder because I'm less worried about fouling out. Um, So you can – I don't know. I I just – you got to evaluate what's happening. And when you evaluate what's happening, Jokic stands above the other two. I think the other two are better defensively and they can be much better defensively. But we didn't see that this year, unfortunately, for them.
1: So one last thing I want to talk about. My vote is for Jokic at one, and then I have Embiid at two. But another thing, so we talk about, you know, on the offensive side, just from a scoring standpoint, just a scoring standpoint, Embiid's volume is higher, undoubtedly, right? So Jokic is about 26 points per 75. Embiid is about 36. That's getting into, like, monster volume territory. But uh, for efficiency, Jokic is – so 21% better than league average which is like i pop anything over 20% is like prime like lebron prime charles barkley Steph might have like two years there like it's insane stuff and then embiid's still really good at like plus 13 that's that's like a like a shack number uh so again the efficiency for him they're obviously both positive and b doing it on you know higher volume but yokic's efficiency just from a shooting standpoint is really impressive and that's one thing where like, I, again, I, I don't see that argument being made where like he's only not quite doubling him up in efficiency, but like it is a, a noticeable gap. And then like the, the playmaking, the playmaking is just so valuable. Again, he more than doubles him up in our playmaking talent. And it's just the thing of like wrapping up. If it's a second half award, of course, Embiid's going to win it. But mm-hmm. like the, if it's a first half award, it's like Claxton probably wins defense player of the year. But like just, that's that's not how the awards work. Yeah.
2: Very last note. Uh, if we look at not just points per 75 possessions, but we also add in assist points per 75 possessions, that total scoring impact from passing and scoring, Jokic is at 50.9. Giannis is at 50.8. And Embiid's at 47.5. He's the best scorer of the three. He's a little bit ahead of Giannis and a good bit ahead of Jokic, but Jokic absolutely dusts the other two with his playmaking. Um, And note on shot making, Jokic is a good bit ahead of the other two.
1: Let me see how they rank uh, league-wide because that could be potentially interesting. I know Embiid and Jokic's overall shooting talent, which takes into account your shot making, your shot quality, your shot creation are actually pretty similar this year.
2: Uh, Jokic for overall shot making is third. Embiid is ninth. And Giannis is a good bit down on the list. I'm not going to be able to find him quickly. He's he's, he's a not efficient. He's here. not like top fifty.
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, LeBron's pick was Jokic for MVP. Um, I think we're both in agreement. We had Jokic for MVP, and then Embiid second. But yeah, that's going to do it for. I'll just run through the awards really quickly. Uh, for most improved player, we both had Halliburton. For six man, we both had quickly. For rookie of the year, I had Kessler. And you had, do you have Jalen Williams? Yeah. All right. Defense player of the year. We had Brooke and then MVP. We had Jokic. So that's the uh, basketball index uh, analyst awards for the year. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. My name is Taylor. That is Tim. Uh, if Again, if you're interested in Lakers content coverage of the playoffs You have to be following Tim. He's doing like we're going to like I don't know if you've ever heard the stories like to release uh, Mario video games. There is always a few Japanese men that put themselves in the hospital with the amount of work that they are doing in the crunch, the final release to get out, you know, Mario 64, Mario Odyssey. Tim, I am worried about you. Do you do you know what your your local hospital that your insurance carrier? <laughs> do you know where you need to go if you pass out from exhaustion? No, I,
2: I need to check that out though. I um, I've decided to try to grow a playoff beard, and it just it looks <laughs> disgusting. I need to I need to shave, but I don't want to. I, I I'm gonna stick stick it through and. Uh, See how things are going. I went for a run today. I ran like four miles and the entire time my watch was telling me to slow down. But the entire time I was thinking about the Lakers game and I couldn't slow down. Um, (laughs) I put out, yeah, so much content. If you're interested in uh, just, I guess, learning that like X's and O's part of the game and digging into the tactical battle, there's so much of like a a chess match element with coaches making adjustments in game. If you just want to give it a try, check out our playback stream, playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. It's free. You can listen to it for free and have the game up on your, you know, 80 inch TV or whatever. Or if you want to watch with us, you can watch that uh, for free as well. You just need to sign into your League Pass or your Hulu Live or your Spectrum or Xfinity or wh- whatever you are able to uh, legally watch the games through. Um, but even if you can't log in, you can you can listen and then try to sync it up. Uh, so that'll be hopefully a fun experience. Um, we have, we try to have fun in there. It's, it's a, you know, for Lakers fans. Um, but cool, cool place to watch the game. And yeah, follow me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA if you're interested in more of that. Lakers coverage, X's and O's stuff, data stuff. Uh, uh, follow Taylor, follow the, the mothership as well at uh, the underscore basketball or the underscore b-ball underscore index. And then also go follow us on uh, Instagram because we just uh, created an Instagram account. And I think over there, what are we over there we're just bball index over there our b b-ball, bball underscore index there there's no V at the beginning let's uh let's get the Instagram going we're we, we now have two you know platforms where we're able to put out content and we're not just copying and pasting what we're putting on Twitter and putting it there as well so you'd actually get extra content that's different by checking out each of them separately so go uh follow the Twitter
1: go follow the Instagram if you're not and uh we'll we'll see you next time yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm at Taylor Metrics. Also, Tim, you okay? So you ran four miles, but we are very into like difficulty adjustments here at Basketball Index. I walked three quarters of a mile yesterday, but I did have back surgery like six weeks ago. So. I don't, we need to get Krishna on the math for that, but I may have difficulty (laughs) adjusted gone further than you. Okay. Yeah. Potentially before you said the back
2: part, I was like, that's not, this isn't helping you. (laughs) You you went shorter (laughs) and walked. Um, but yeah, with the back (laughs) surgery that I've had back problems in the past, that is not, not fun stuff. Uh, especially a lower back. I don't know where it is for you, but, uh,
1: recover, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's 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 going well. It's going well. The surgery went well. Things I'm off. I'm off all the drugs, so things are things are looking up. Uh, yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. Again, my name's Taylor. That's Tim, and we'll see you on the next one of the B Ball Index podcast.